Well, I'm going to continue my series that um, uh, we've been going through um, called Has God Left the Building? Um, Godly Wisdom in a Culture that Knows Better. And uh, I know somebody said this morning, because you never know what Craig's going to say. Because <laughs> last, last two or three weeks, we've had some pretty, some pretty uh, interesting topics, haven't we? And we're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. Actually, it's a letter that Paul wrote in the first century to a group of Jesus followers in Corinth. And they were asking Paul about all these different things that were happening in their culture. And how should they go about dealing with these issues. And of course, Paul tries to take the teachings of Jesus and pass those on to all of these folks. And let them know this is how you should... uh, take care of these issues in, in that culture. And, and as we look at this, it's very relevant for us today because in our culture, uh, we see a lot of similarities as we've gone through this. People are still struggling with all these type of issues. And I want to go back to last week, and we, we specifically dealt with the issue of, of divorce and how that can be such a, an awkward topic within uh, the church. And what we did find out is that Paul says, hey, we understand that that Divorce is never God's ideal, but he also understands that we're human and we're sinful and we do these things. And there's forgiveness for that and there's grace for that. And we repent and we move forward with that and God lets us start a new life and we're thankful for that. Well, today we're going to go through, go into chapter um, 8 today and look through verses uh, 1 through 13. But I want to kind of introduce that by talking about this. In March... You think about in March, our lives all changed pretty dramatically, didn't they? (laughs) I mean, it's been amazing. The the pandemic began and it was uh, at first thought, oh, it's just like the flu. It's no big deal. But then we realized, no, this is is a big deal. This is a health emergency. And and so then for a while, worldwide, people were sheltering in place and and we all were a, a part of that. Sports and entertainment were brought to a halt as well as so many um. Uh, non-essential businesses had to just shut down. And it was uh, scary. It still is scary. And as a result, many of us were and are more aware of news stories as they surface. Why? Because we were sitting at home with not a whole lot else to do but watch the TV and watch these stories and be locked into those stories. And they were more front and center as all of our lives and uh, had kind of stalled or at least stopped. To some degree. And these news stories gained our attention, and as they did, we were and are still bombarded with all these various degrees of details and these newsworthy events. And y'all can think about all the things that have happened. News, um, social media outlets were all reporting and posting the various views and opinions about these stories as they unfolded and what we just saw and how we should think about it. Don't y'all appreciate the news media telling us? what we just saw and how we're supposed to think about it. Don't y'all appreciate that? (laughs) But what we've seen has been people in groups that have been very divided as we know that the news is is biased. Very much so. And, And so you can watch one station and get a completely different picture of a news story and you can turn it on another station and get a completely different view of it, whether it's politically or or morally or whatever. And it has driven wedges wedges between people and groups. 
and driving wedges between groups in our culture right now seems to be happening on almost every subject, whether people intend to or not. And I know there's people who intend to do that. And certainly being an election year and a presidential election at that, that has certainly amped up the division, hasn't it? And if I, I've heard, um, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Now, how many of y'all times have y'all heard that in your lifetime? <laughs> okay. I've heard it, I've heard it, I think, in the last four or five elections. You know, oh, it's the most important. Now, I'm not saying it's not important, but they all are important and matter. But think about how division has infiltrated our culture. And it even started right after the pandemic got a little bit better. It's like, do we start back or not start back? And there were people on different sides of that driving, oh, you shouldn't start back. Yes, you should start back. And boy, there was wedges between, well, y'all are starting back. I can't believe you're endangering people. I can't believe y'all aren't starting back and getting back to normal. There was mask or no mask. You know, we've gone through all of that. Cancel versus don't cancel. Should we cancel that event? Don't cancel that event. Do it in a different way. Black versus white, police versus community, Democrats versus Republican, liberal versus conservatives, Christian versus non-Christians. And those wedges, it seems, have been driven in, in separating people. And I could go on and on. But division causes distrust, doesn't it? It causes these ill feelings and thoughts. And it gives us a lack of hope for the future when we see this divide among people that we used to not have that divide. But all of a sudden, a issue can all of a sudden make me see you differently and you see me differently. It's an issue. And just because I think about it differently than you or see it differently than you, does that mean we still can't be friends or, or family? But it seems that those things have happened. And if you remember when we first started Paul's letter, the very thing he started in this letter in Corinth was is there was division among you. And that's not what's supposed to be in the body of Christ. And I don't know all the answers to all that we're dealing with at this time. But what I do know is Satan loves to see division. He loves to see that division. And Jesus said that Satan wants to come to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's why he loves division. When it takes place, unity can be killed. Community can be stolen and stopped. Relationships can be destroyed through division. And as Jesus followers, we need to be a source of unity. Not that we can't have our opinion, not that we can't express our opinion in a strong and faithful way. There's nothing wrong with that. However, when we do express our opinions, we need to do that in love, respecting the people that we're giving those opinions to and not allowing it to divide us and to amp up. And one of the most meaningful and identifying statements that came out of the Restoration Movement, and I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with the Christian church, came out of the Restoration Movement. And this church is a part of that. But this is one of the, the statements that the movement had. In matters of essentials, unity. In matters of opinion, liberty. But in all things, love. Think about that for a minute. In the essentials, the things that we must not be divided on, we have to have unity. But there's going to be some things that are of a matter of opinion, and we need to have liberty and freedom and being able to express those things. But in all matters, we still need, need to be able to love one another through that. But our personal freedom is something that our culture high, holds up as a very high ideal, doesn't it? And in theory, that seems like a good thing. You should stand up for your freedoms and your rights. But what we see happening in our culture is this, y'all. We see 
that our personal freedom has not just become a high ideal, but it's become the highest ideal. Over everything else, my rights and my freedom are the highest ideal to a point that my freedoms are more important and more valuable than someone else's life and someone else's freedom. And we see that happening in our culture. And this is very contrary to what Jesus taught. It's very contrary to what Jesus lived out. In, in his culture was a very self-centered and idealistic society as well. But Jesus taught personally and modeled personally that we are to love God first and then love people. When we're loving God and loving people, it takes care of a lot of these divisions. So our text today deals with the heart of what it means to truly put others first, to truly put God first and others first in our lives when we're dealing with an issue. And Jesus' followers in Corinth, if you remember, are saying, hey, Paul, we're dealing with these issues. And, and Paul spent a, a year and a half with them, and then he went on, and he's hearing about all these issues. So he's through a letter trying to say, hey, let me help you with these things, because, man, I love you guys. I spent a year and a half with you leading you to Jesus, and I'm hearing that you're allowing the culture to come in and divide you, and I don't want that to happen within the church. So let's take a look at chapter 8, and we're going to go verses 1 through 13. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from, and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat, sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating at an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin... I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. All right, we're going to stop there. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Paul, when he first starts this, he's addressing this food sacrifice to idols. And I don't know about you, but I kind of go, oh, that's weird. We don't even, I mean, what in our culture do we even compare that to? People don't, I guess there's still some, some cultures and some religions that do that. Um, but for us, that may seem weird and something we really have no experience with. But I think what he's saying and how it's caused division is something we can certainly see. And I think the goal here, and always is here, y'all, when we're looking at God's Word, is how does this translate into my personal life? 
Yeah, that happened way back when in a different culture, in a different time in history, in a different place in the world. But how does what Paul said to these people through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit have to do with us in 2020? And as I have mentioned, Corinth, there were many pagan temples in the city. Many uh, temples and, and animals were slaughtered as part of uh, their sacrifices, as part of their temple worship. Many very similar to the Jewish temple when they would make their sacrifices. And most of the meat that people would buy in the marketplace really had come from these temple ceremonies. Some of the meat was burned on the temple altar and then after that, there was some left over, and they would actually, whatever was not burned up in the ceremony, they would take it to the meat market and sell it, and then it would be sold to people to actually take home and cook with. And so the temple management not only didn't want to waste the meat, but they also figured out, you know what, we can make some money on the side with this. After we do the sacrifices, we can actually make some money at the market selling this meat instead of just throwing it out or burning it all up. So it's hard for us to grasp that. I mean, can you imagine going into your favorite grocery store this afternoon and you're going into the meat part and you're looking at all the different meats and let's just say you're worried that maybe this meat has been um, used in a temple sacrifice in a, in a pagan temple and you don't want to get that meat because that would defile you. And Paul's saying, no, it really, it really doesn't because idols aren't real. They're made up things to manipulate people. They're not real. But for some people that have been a part of that culture for so long and have now made the change over to being a Christian, this is a difficult decision for them. So you're going through there and you're looking and you're asking the butcher, say, hey, where did this meat come from? And the guy's going, seriously, you're going to ask me that? I don't know where it comes from. My job is just to cut it up, throw it on there and put that wrap around it and stamp a date on it and put it out there. I don't know where it came from. And that doesn't help you. So I'm trying to get us just to think, what would that be like to have to worry about? Now, some of y'all do worry about that stuff when you grow grocery shopping. Do you check everything, you know, look at the label and all that kind of stuff? That, that's daunting enough, but think about if it had something to do with how you looked at your faith, how difficult that would be. And you're hungry, and you see a great deal at the Corinth Kroger, but you can't buy it because you're going to feel guilty about it. And so he just says he doesn't know where, you know, a guy may say, I don't know where it came from, but do you buy it and take it home and feed it to your family? Is that wrong? That's kind of what this issue is about. Now, Paul starts by mentioning something about we know that we all possess knowledge. And like, well, yeah, Paul, we all know that we possess knowledge on different things. But he's referring to a saying or a phrase like we've talked about earlier in some of these other issues. There's a phrase that's been going on. And Paul actually says, as you say... We all have knowledge. And Paul immediately responds to that. Yeah, we all have knowledge, but he says this. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that's true, is that when we become knowledgeable about things, we can become a little arrogant, can't we? We don't have to be, but we can be. We've heard in our culture that knowledge is what? Power. When you have knowledge, that is a powerful thing within the culture. And in Corinth and in this culture, this is true among many of the people. The Greek word gnosis is translated as prideful human religious speculation. <laughs> prideful human religious speculation. You ever done that? We speculate in a prideful human way. And there was plenty of that going around in this Roman and Greek culture. But Paul's intent here is to point people to Jesus on the issue. 
not what the, the culture says, not what's going on at this temple or that temple and everybody's saying, but, but what did Jesus say through the lens of Jesus and how he lived and how he taught? How do we deal with this thing about sacrificing uh, this meat that's been sacrificed on a pagan temple? Jesus didn't specifically talk about that in the Gospels that we know about, but certainly Jesus did or said something that we can point to. And so Paul says, knowledge looks to make the individual prideful and puffed up. And as a Christian, if we're following Jesus, we're supposed to be humble. Certainly that's not an attitude. And that kind of attitude causes other people to feel inferior and to separate people. It causes separation or division between those who know and those who don't know. And there was some of this going on in the culture. Oh, there's some of us who are enlightened. And we, we happen to know the knowledge that you guys don't know yet. And you're just not quite as smart and as special as we are. You ever see that in our culture? There's some people that just know. And the rest of us are idiots. And we just have to figure it out. Maybe one day we'll be enlightened like they are. So this is what Paul is addressing. And Paul goes on to say, the person who thinks they know something would be kind of like us saying, that person thinks there's something big deal. And we've, we've said that, which is really like someone who acts like they know it all, but in reality they don't have the knowledge they are acting and operating as if they do. Now we've maybe all been in that situation ourselves, kind of acting like we know a little bit more than we do. But we also know we don't like people who are know-it-alls. Nobody likes that. How many times have you said that to your kids? Okay, My son right now, Sawyer, he loves to watch the Braves game, and he is just the whole time he's and the and the, the commentators will say something and he'll just spout it right now. Dad, did you know that and he says that same stat and I go, Sire, I'm watching the game, buddy. I, I I just heard that. Yes, I do know that. But now he's all into stats and it's really fun to watch. But I have to remind him sometimes to be careful with that. You know, you can have a lot of knowledge, but do it in a way that makes it fun for people. Not that you look like you're, you know, trying to show everybody what you know. So we can all identify with people that, like that that we've encountered. And sometimes we've been that person. But people are not drawn to those kind of people. They are away from them. We're drawn away from people like that. So he makes this statement. But whoever loves God is certainly known by God. And this comes, I think, from Jesus. Because John... In his gospel, John, the apostle that was very close to Jesus, in his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he talks about love. That's the theme in all of that. And listen to what he says in 1st John 4, 7, and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so Paul's pointing them to Jesus. You know, we can act like we have all this knowledge, but if that knowledge is not really based on our love for God and other people, we're not being drawn closer to God. We're not exemplifying God. So Paul uses that as a starting point to address this issue. And I would imagine he knows there are different views on this issue in the church, in that Corinth church that he's writing to. There's probably some of them that are going, you know what, it's not a big deal. I, you're right, Paul. It's, you know, there's a... Uh, idols don't mean anything. I can go to the store and I can get some of that meat. And I don't care if it was sacrificed at that pagan temple. I'm just going to feed my family with it. I don't believe in that false God. So what's the big deal? And they have this knowledge that they realize I'm free in Christ. And I can do that. It's not a big deal. But somebody else is going, I can't do that. 
If I take that and I know it was sacrificed down the street at that temple that I used to go to, the whole time I'm eating it, I'm going to be thinking about that. I'm going to think about participating in my old way of life, and that's going to be a stumbling block, and I just can't do that. So you've got people on, on both sides of this in this church. And so he starts with this knowledge that some possess, that an idol is nothing in this world. There is but one God. There's not multiple gods. And not all roads lead to the same God. There's some of that. We'll get to that in a minute. And we see that in our culture. And that was going on in this culture. Yes, there are many in our culture who say there are many gods and Lord, Paul is saying. But he says, but for us, if we're a Jesus follower, there's only one God from whom we live. There is only one Lord, but Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through <coughs> whom we live, Paul says. So that's the knowledge we need to have. So at this point in the letter, the people that are on that side are going... See, and and can you imagine this is being read in the church? And so one of the elders is reading this letter from Paul to the rest of the church. And there's some people over here who have that knowledge. And they know there's somebody sitting over there that they've been arguing with about it. And as their letter's being written, they're going, see? See what Paul said? You heard that, didn't you? I mean, they're not saying that, but they're just kind of looking over there. You know how we do sometimes. And at this point, they're looking around. And they're saying, hey, this is Paul's agreeing with me. But then Paul gets their attention, those who are maybe thinking in those terms. But he says, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Not everyone has that knowledge where they go, I understand those are all false. God, I don't have to worry about that. I'm free in Christ. They're not there yet. You may be there yet. You may have that knowledge. You may have that feeling, but they're not there yet. There's some brothers and sisters in your community, believers, that are really struggling with this. They are so accustomed, Paul said, to idols. They were in it for a long time, and now they've come out of that. And so those sacrifices and being a part of that, their conscience, he says, is weak on that, and it's defiled. But food, he says, does not bring us near to God. It's not about food, is it? We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. And so the people on the other side are going, see? And so he's trying to deal with this. So those who, who are maybe feeling like they are spiritually mature and righteous because they are eating or not eating, Paul is challenging both of them. Say, y'all, don't let this drive a wedge between you. We're all in different places in our Christian walk. Those who are not eating, he's saying, your conscience is weak and defiled. And you have some work to do, but that's a process that the Holy Spirit is doing in you. And then Paul challenges those who seem to be prideful about their knowledge and freedom. And guess what? You have some work to do with that. And God's going to do that through His Holy Spirit in you. We all have things we need to work on. And the one here who's probably a little puffed up about their knowledge and freedom, I think Paul is giving the hardest challenge to. So be careful that the exercise of your rights, your freedom, does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Y'all know what a stumbling block is? You ever, you ever um, walk through your house in the middle of the night and somebody left something in the floor that you stumbled over? Now, when you have kids, you know about this. You ever step on a, a Lego in the carpet in the middle of the night? You'll say some, some things. <laughs> it's difficult. When I thought about that, it's walking around at night through your house and saying, well, Who put this here? You know, and you're, you're limping around going, you know, that kind of stuff. And he's saying that's what we are to someone when we try to say, hey, my rights, my freedoms are more important than you and what you're going through in your life. You need to build them up, not 
build yourself up. You need to become a stepping stone, not a stumbling block. Your goal is not to be better than others, but to be the best person that God has made you to be and encourage others to be that unique best person that God's called them to be. And Paul gives the scenario of the weaker brother and sister seeing you with all your knowledge at, a, at, at an idol's temple. And he said, this has the potential to embolden them or encourage them to do something that was destructive. Now, what he's saying is, what if, because you say you're free to do whatever you want to do, you, you actually go to one of these temples and you're getting some of the meat or whatever, and you're actually visiting one of those temples, and that person who used to go there knows you're a part of their church, and they see you in that temple. This is going to embolden them or encourage them or dare them to do something that's destructive in their life. Why would you want to do that? It would be like knowing that someone here this morning in your church that you've known is a recovering alcoholic and they see you at a restaurant at the bar drinking and they see you and they wave at you. Instead of just waving at them, you go, hey, come here. Come here, Craig. Hey, come sit down right here. Let me buy you a drink. And you go, what? Dude, you know I have a pass. What are you doing? Why are you inviting me to sit down? And drink? Oh, man, you're in Jesus now. You're free. Don't let that addiction... You're free from that now. You're a Christian now. It's like, man, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And you may think you're helping them get over their fear or addiction, but you're actually putting them in a position, in a bad position, to go back to their old way of life. It's a process for them. Don't cause them to stumble, Paul's saying. And Paul is addressing leading people to believe that it's okay to worship in multiple places. There were some people in this Corinthian church that were trying out the Jesus thing, but they go, but I can still, I can still go over here and do that old other temple thing. I'm just going to kind of take a little bit of everybody's religion. Do you hear that in our culture? You remember, you remember in the movie Talladega Nights? You remember Ricky Bobby? And Ricky Bobby has this accident on the, on the track, and he's running around the track. Do you all remember what he was yelling? Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jewish God. Help me, Allah. Help me, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Use your witchcraft on me to get the fire off me. Help me, Oprah Winfrey. Now, we laugh about that, but in that movie, they were literally making fun of people who say, hey, it's all these different things can lead us. It's like, no. And so Paul is saying, when you do that, you go back to a place where you used to be that you said, I put that old life away. When we become baptized into Christ, what do we do? We bury our what? Our old life, right? We bury that. It's dead. It's crucified with Christ. And now I live, yet not me, but Christ lives in me now. It's a different life. So in other words, when it, it comes to all these different gods, no, you don't play around with that and don't encourage others to do that as well. So Paul goes even further and says, when you do this, the brother or sister that Christ died for is destroyed by your knowledge. This knowledge that you have, that you say you have, you're destroying them. Don't do that. You have sinned against them. You have wounded their weak conscience, and you've sinned against Christ when you've done that. He's making it a big deal. Not, now my knowledge, my rights, my freedoms, they don't seem so important when I realize that, man, there's consequences to when I make those so about me. I grew up going to church camp, and I loved it. I, I can say it's why I'm uh, a Christian today, why I'm a minister today. But let me tell you about something that happened. When I think I was in, in, in uh, high school when this happened, but you know how you always have the campfires at, at camp, and somebody's playing the guitar, and then on the last night at camp, it gets real teary-eyed, and 
you know, people have been all week at camp and people come forward and they, they make a decision for Christ and it's, you know, you baptize them in the lake or the pool. And well, when I was going to camp, um, <clears throat> I've been going for several years since I was in elementary school and I'm in high school now. And there was this girl and we used to go with like three or four other churches. And there was this girl that would come up every single year on Friday night. And she would come forward, and after the first three or four years, you, you just kind of knew that it was coming on Friday night. She would come up, and she'd start crying, and she'd talk about how bad she'd been that year, and how she wanted to rededicate her life. And we watched this girl do this every single year. So I'm in high school, and I'm kind of going, oh, here we go, it's Friday night. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, here she comes. And she's going to start crying, and she's going to come up and tell about how bad her life is and how she needs to get right with Jesus again. Like, when is it ever going to stick with you? And I'm sitting there as this arrogant 15 or 16-year-old. And so the campfire's going on, and me and a, a friend of mine, we're kind of over to the, we kind of backed off of the, the cry session. Everybody's crying. Go, oh, isn't it wonderful? You know, she came forward, and she's rededicating. I'm like, no, it's not wonderful. Why don't you just get her life right and quit, quit you know, coming up every year? And so... One of our counselors saw that we kind of moved away from the campfire. And he came over and says, are you guys okay? Yeah, just, you know, it's just kind of frustrating. You know, she does this every year. And the counselor goes, yeah, yeah, I've noticed that too. You know, what's the big deal? Why don't you just really make a commitment to Christ instead of having to cry and come forward all this year? And he goes, how well do you really know her? Well, I, she goes to a different church. So you don't really know her that well, do you? No. You probably don't know anything about her family. No. You probably don't know anything about her school or her friends. No. You know, and I'm sinking lower and lower. <laughs> this knowledge that's puffing me up is all of a sudden becoming very humbling. He goes, well, you know, she probably has a really tough home life. Maybe she has a really tough time at home. And maybe that's why she has to do this every year. You ever thought about that? No. But man, I was humbled by that. And you know that that young man that spoke to me like that is one of our elders today. And I'll never forget that moment at camp because it reminds me of this passage that we can get all puffed up about our knowledge and the way things ought to be. But in the long run, every person is unique in their situation and God knows that and he's trying to work it. And I don't need to be a stumbling block. I need to be a stepping stone. And all those other people were surrounding her and supporting her, and I'm backing off with my... And even leading my friend to go, this is crazy. She does it every year. Not once did I go and try to encourage her, but that changed my perspective. So Paul says, therefore, after he explains all of this, he goes, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that it will not cause them to fall. Are you serious, Paul? I have to become a vegetarian or a vegan? No, that's not what Paul's saying, but he's saying, but if that is what I need to do to encourage my brother or sister, if that's what it takes, then yes. Do you want to build yourself up or your brother or sister? And when I really experience the building up of a brother or a sister, I actually build myself up in the way that God wants me to. Not putting it on me, but it's going, look, look what I did. I obeyed God. I heard God. I was obedient to God. And now I see God as someone else does, as they're valuable, they're loved, and they have purpose in the future. And that's what I need to encourage them in. So the question for you and I today is this, what knowledge what freedom, what right are we holding on to out of pride, out of this sense of entitlement that's causing someone else who is weak to stumble? 
Is my right or freedom more important than their growth or maturity? No, it's not, Paul's saying. Jesus had the knowledge of how the universe was made. Jesus had the knowledge of how people think and act. He was God in the flesh. He was, as we say, all-knowing, omniscient. But what does Paul say in the letter to the Philippian church? And yet for your sake and for my sake, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, even obedient to death on a cross, so that we would not have to die in our sins. So here's just some advice that I think Paul might say to us today. So instead of going home this afternoon and going on social media and replying to someone's post, who of course is an idiot because they don't think like I do, with all this knowledge about their wrong political view or their wrong-headed view about COVID-19 or their wrong view about the racial issue or why you know why the Falcons' defense can't stop anybody. And you need to make sure that they know that. Maybe we ought to back off of that and say, maybe I should use this opportunity to build that person up and put a path of stepping stones so that they can know what it is to be forgiven and restored to God and have everlasting life. So the question really more simply is, what meat do we need to give up in our lives? To help someone else know Jesus. Think about that as we leave this morning. And maybe there's somebody here today that needs to name Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the good news of the gospel, y'all, is that you don't have to have yourself all together to come to Jesus. You come right as you are. He takes us right where we are. And he wants to mold us and shape us to who he always wanted us to be. So this morning we're going to offer an invitation. Maybe somebody today needs to name Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And as we say, we bury that old person and a new person comes to life through Christian baptism. That's what it means. We bury our old life and now we are still the unique person that God made. But now it is not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Or maybe there's somebody that's looking for a church home and we want to teach and, and stay firm on God's word and what he says in life. And we want to build people up. That's what the church is for. To be a place where we are stepping stones, not stumbling blocks. So James is going to come and lead us. And if you have a decision, we ask that you come forward at this time and I'll walk you through it. Jesus.